From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Over the past month, a debate over policing, race, and history has turned into angry lawlessness, with mobs swarming cities and destroying statues across the United States. Near the White House overnight, a tense standoff with police as protesters tried to tear down a statue of former President Andrew Jackson. It's a racist Confederate statue. Okay, it should be knocked down and put in a museum. The West Englewood staple, a statue of Abraham Lincoln sitting on the corner of 69th and Walcott for almost 100 years. I grew up with this statue. It's like a landmark. But days ago, someone vandalized it. There was intentionality behind purposefully tarring Abraham Lincoln's bust, wrapping it in tar paper and setting it on fire. For neighbors, it's hard to believe. To see this defaced like that, burnt up like that, it's a disgrace to the whole neighborhood. Breaking overnight, a statue of Christopher Columbus has been beheaded in Boston. Look at these stark images here at Christopher Columbus Park right near Boston Harbor next door to Faneuil Hall in the New England Aquarium. Police are investigating, but so far there's no word on any arrests. During protests over the past few days, statues of figures connected to slavery have been toppled and vandalized all around the world. This video posted Sunday shows protesters tearing down the statue of Thomas Jefferson at the Portland High School named for the president. In 1916, students had raised the money to put it in place. And by Monday morning, June of 2020, the school district had organized a cleanup. Bittersweet being a black American and a graduate class of 69, very proud class of 69. I was on Facebook when I first saw it. My first thing was wow. Others in the community. They should replace it with something that recognizes the truth of Thomas Jefferson. Agree with the protesters' intent. Because he was a slave owner. Yeah. This assault on America's history is not new. But it is getting worse. And working to protect America's history and restore confidence in its founding values and principles is more important than it's ever been before. Today on Heritage Explains, we're going to run an episode from October. The lightly edited interview is with Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal and author of The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Today... Jared explains why statues of Jefferson and even Robert E. Lee should remain standing. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. Let's just jump right in and start with Jefferson. So it's true that Jefferson owned slaves, as did many of our founders. And this is something that's hard to come to terms with, to say that slavery is a disgusting and terrible stain on our history isn't even enough. It was a profound moral injustice. So why should we not be removing these statues? This is a topic that can be really hard to talk about. What's the counterpoint? Well, I'd say, you know, why is it today that we have the idea that slavery is this terrible abomination? It's it's in very much, much part 
of because of Thomas Jefferson, because of the founding generation. This is an institution that at that time was common throughout the world. The, the founders t- were, were brave enough, especially Jefferson, to put in our founding document that slavery is a terrible evil when he sees it around him throughout not just American society, but societies throughout the world. I, I think that's an incredibly brave thing for us to say now in 2019, how dare they? I, I would say, look, where do we even get this concept that slavery is this abomination? Through much of history, it was an accepted practice. Practice, they dare to inject into our founding document the idea that all men are created equal. I mean, that's a, that's a radical thing. And really, four score and seven years later, you, of course, had a country that ultimately extinguished that institution with a lot of blood, but because of the words and ideas of that founding generation. And I think it's a, a misnomer to think that because the founders continued to have slavery while saying those words, all men are created equal, that somehow they didn't mean those words. I think they very much meant them. If you read the the documents from Jefferson, you read the notes, you read the opinions of the time, they did believe all men were created equal. They believed that because of positive law, because of tradition, because of the legacy of slavery that existed, that it, it would just exist in reality, but it was something that needed to be extinguished. Yeah, I think common knowledge, Abraham Lincoln's the only one that ever put forward that notion to end slavery. But you're saying that it really goes much farther back than that. And the roots that Thomas Jefferson laid down, you know, paved the way for people like Abraham Lincoln to do what he did. 100 percent. I mean, Abraham Lincoln even mentioned this. It was a a celebration of Thomas Jefferson's birthday and and Lincoln made some remarks. And he said, you know, all credit to Thomas Jefferson for injecting those words into our founding document. You know, he may have had some issues with the fact that Jefferson continued to own slaves life, but understood that this moment, especially as American society came to fully grip the consequences of slavery, the house divided, uh, Lincoln gave tribute to the founding fathers and said, these are the ideas coming from the founding. In many ways, Lincoln was, you know, you could say almost a, like a conservative kind of statesman. He said, no, we need to reaffirm the founding of this country, the things that the founders started, we need to finish. And I think that's ultimately what happened. And that's something, that is something we're celebrating. The context obviously of terrible things happening in this country that slavery existed through large parts of the country existed almost over the entire country at the time of the founding the nation was very much split on that issue and i think we're very fortunate that many americans looked back and said yes we want to uphold the vision of the founders and finally extinguish this great evil which of course ultimately happened with with a whole lot of suffering in between would you say that that same argument stands true for someone like robert e lee it does. And, and Lee, of course, is a, a complicated figure in our history. He was not a, a radical supporter of slavery. Uh, he was not a person who wanted to embrace the idea of secession. He was very much against it. Uh, he ultimately was faced with a terrible choice. Do you, do you go with your state uh, or do you go with your country? And it, it was a terrible choice for him. He was actually at one point almost called upon to become uh, the general of all the armies of the Union, the, uh, the Army of the Potomac. And he did ultimately make that decision to stay with Virginia. He thought the Union was shattered. It was never coming back. Uh, this was never a man who was ultimately committed to the institution of slavery. Ultimately, I mean, at the end of the war, he actually uh, he actually suggested that they employ uh, former slaves, give them their freedom and fight for the Confederate army during the war, which is kind of mind boggling. Of course, the political authorities in the Confederacy shot that down. Uh, but but Robert E. Lee is a complicated figure. And I think 
to a large extent, his legacy after the war is a big part of who he is, you know, telling uh, Southerners to raise your children to be Americans, to bring the country back together after, I think, the worst uh, tragedy in our country's history. And I think that's a part of his legacy, too, even if he made the wrong decision ultimately uh, to fight for the South, the Confederacy. Before we continue this conversation, I just wanted to let our listeners know about an exciting platform available from Heritage. While we can't host events in person right now, Heritage Events Live hosts webinars every day on a variety of topics, like COVID-19, China, the economy, and more. Even better, these webinars are 100% free. You can find out more by going to heritage.org events or by checking out the link in our show notes. Okay, Jarrett, let's jump back in now. Tell me more about what's going on with Christopher Columbus. Well, I think obviously there's this big push to replace Columbus Day with, you know, people call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, a lot of them say that Columbus was genocidal, that he abused natives, that he was just this, this awful person. A lot of this comes, uh, some of it comes from accounts from his own day. He had some detractors, uh, all the way back then. But a lot of it also comes from, uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, where Zinn tried to create this picture of Columbus as this, this awful man. He had a very good reason borrowing from Karl Marx and Engels thinking that Columbus actually ushered in the world of capitalism and, and the global capitalist system that we have. So that was where his perspective was from. And these stories about abuses that happened in the New World, some of them true, a lot of them not. A lot of them not attributable to Christopher Columbus. And I think that's something that, that really bothers me with the attacks on Columbus. A lot of the criticisms of him are just the opposite. I mean, Columbus in his own journey, and I, I do think that Columbus is – we need to recognize the bravery and the, the accomplishment of Christopher Columbus. Uh, but some of the, the, the recorded abuses that took place in the New World, some of them happened under his cruise. Columbus actually tried to stop them and punish those, the Spaniards who were under him. He got criticized in his own day for being too soft and being too hard on the Spanish. And the idea that he was actually the monster perpetrating all these terrible things in the New World, including things like disease, which, I mean, he had no concept of disease whatsoever, I think is very unfair to, to the man himself, who I think should be recognized for the accomplishment that he did and, and the many, many good and bad things that came from that connection between the old world and the new. Lastly, I want to hit on something recent that I think many of our listeners have heard about. The New York Times uh, while the left has long claimed that our founders were hypocrites, the New York Times has gone a step farther, and they're attempting to reframe American history by imagining 1619, not 1776, as our nation's birth year. 1619, because that's the year that the first African slaves landed in the British colonies in America. Is there any truth to this at all? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think if the project was simply dedicated to perspectives on slavery, on the institution, I think it would have been a worthwhile historical endeavor. But I think the problem with it is it really was – it was activism. I mean, it, that's – I mean, even the, the beginning statements of this project, they say they wish to reframe American history based on the idea that yeah. 1619 is really our founding. I, I think that that's, that's an absurd notion. What they're trying to say essentially is everything America was built on was slavery. And in some ways, they actually – Take up the argument of the kind of pro-slavery side of the Civil War, kind of strangely enough, that, oh, all these good things, they're happening because of slavery. On one side, they say it's good. And the other side, they would say it's bad. But how different that is uh, from I, the philosophy of Lincoln or the founders. They even went as far as to say the Revolutionary War was fought 
for in, slavery. Yes. <laughs> it's it, incredible. That's completely false. It's completely false. It's an absurdity. And and you know what? I think that especially because they pivoted so quickly to trying to lump in slavery and capitalism, which I, I mean, I think shows how ideological this project was. Like the first essay they do is like the, the brutal realities of capitalism derived from slavery. And it, it, it's very obvious what they're trying to do is say that oh, all these good things you think about America, well, they're really all bad because slavery. And, and to me, that kind of exposes what the project is about and shows, okay, this is not just history. This is a way to attack what America is and was. And yes, we can have, I think, very good conversations about slavery and its legacy. But to say that that is the critical essence of what America is, I think it's actually an absurdity. And I think it's very much undercuts what happened in 1776, the American Revolution, or long history. And so, yeah, I I think, unfortunately, this project, it is a bad one. And ultimately, I think it's going to lead a lot of people astray. And it's going to be, unfortunately, in curriculum across the country as the New York Times and the Polar Surprise Committee is now going to be pushing this at the K-12 level for for students going to our schools. Jerry, I I should admit that I know you. We're office neighbors here at the Heritage Foundation, and you're also the host of the Right Side of History podcast. I want to give you a little plug there (laughs) on top of your book, of course. Um, But I'm curious, have you always felt this like passion in your soul for history? When did you become such a history buff? You know, I, I kind of always did. I think it was large part because of how I was raised. My, my parents and my grandparents always reinforced this. I've definitely been inspired by them my whole life to really, you know, embrace, you know, being an American. What does that mean? What does our history mean? I've always done a lot of reading since I was young. Actually, something that really, I think, inspired me, especially on this project, uh, especially because I think a lot of our schools have failed to teach American history, is actually my father. Uh, when I was in the second grade, I, I know the day it was, it was June 6, 1994. It's my I, son's birthday. Is it? Well, that's, that's, that's a great birthday. My, my dad asked me, what did you learn in school today? And it was very important to him because this was the 50th anniversary of D-Day, you know, the, yeah. the, the retaking of Normandy. Yeah. He said, you, I said, oh, no, we, mm-hmm. not, not, we learned to write these letters. He said, well, you didn't learn anything about, about D-Day. And so my, my father actually confronted my, my teacher at the time and said, you know, why these students, they don't learn anything about American history. Why don't you teach them something about that? I and mean, this, this is a world-changing event. There's a lot of their grandparents fought in this war. And the teacher said, oh, you know, we had to write these letters and we were very busy. He says, well, you know, why don't you have them write a letter to one of the soldiers who was there on that day? Why don't you combine that with a lesson about, you know, what, what their country is all about? And so my parents ultimately did take me out of that school. They put me in a school that I think reinforced more civic values and and virtue and things like this. And I think that really stuck out to me. I think I was very fortunate. I ultimately got sent to a private school. My parents reinforced history lessons through my life. And and I do hope that, you know, other parents out there, I think that's a point I try to make in, in my book, too. I mean, our history is fading very quickly. You look at polls about historical – it's very bad in civics. And at the same time, you see a rise in people embracing things like socialism, things like this. And I can see the two things being connected. And I think it's very important for Americans, parents especially, to you know, inform themselves and try to inform their children because they're going to get you – know, they're going to get a lot of pushback. They're going to get a lot of it in school, whether it's at K-12 level or in college. And, and you need to be prepared for that. Now, I think our history is absolutely worth defending. I think we have a lot to be proud of in this country. 
I totally agree. And and normally when I interview historians, I ask them, you know, if there's one book you could recommend, what would it be? But I'm not going to ask that because I'm going to actually say that everyone should go out and get Jarrett's book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Um, I have my own copy, which I'm going to hold on to for when I need it for my kids, because I have a feeling that time will come up and I'll need to counter some of those points. Jarrett, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode. I'll once again leave the link to Jarrett's book in our show notes. It's such an important read right now. I can't say enough good things about it, and it's an important time to pick it up. If you're having a hard time explaining to others why these statues should stand, share this episode. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Heritage Explains Facebook page, the Heritage Instagram page, and the Heritage YouTube page. We put all of our episodes everywhere to make it easier for you to listen and share. Hoping you're all well. Tim is up next week, and we'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.